Okay, we are holding in Malachim Aleph. First of all, I, I apologize. Last week, uh, we didn't have that class, and it was sort of a last-minute decision. I apologize for that. Um, but we'll pick up where we left off two weeks ago, and we're holding in Malachim Aleph, Perak He, Chapter 5, Pasuk Tesvav, Verse 15. Um, and we're really holding by a very, very exciting part of the story of the Navi. Um, and it's really a tremendous lead-up to this. And we're going to be dealing tonight and next week, Bezra Hashem, with the building of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, and as we discussed beforehand, the David, that's something that David HaMelech very much wanted to do. David HaMelech, David HaMelech asked for permission to build the Beis HaMikdash, and the Navi felt that it was a good idea. But it was Hashem who told David HaMelech to wait, and that it would be built through his son, Shleim HaMelech. As we learned then, uh, the Beis HaMikdash is connected with Shalom and with peace, and David HaMelech was the one who laid all the groundwork for the building of the Beis HaMikdash. But because he was a man of war, because when he came, when he came into uh, being the Melech, there was still a lot of war that had to be done in order to bring Klal Yisrael full Menucha, full Shalom and independence. So David HaMelech is the one who fought all those battles successfully, and prepared the grounds for the Beis HaMikdash, bought the grounds for the Beis HaMikdash, prepared uh, many of the monies and many of the articles that were going to be used for building the Beis HaMikdash, but ultimately Hashem said that it was his son, Shlein HaMalach, who was going to build the Beis HaMikdash. And that's really where we're holding. We're, tonight we're going to begin the story of how the Beis HaMikdash was actually built. And, um, you know, Ashkach HaPratis is always amazing, but sometimes it's just so powerful. And that is that in the Parsha that we're learning this week is where the Torah begins the story of the building of the Mishkan. Right? This week is the Parsha of Truma, and it begins with the mitzvah, to make for me a mikdash, make for me a sanctuary, and I will dwell amongst them. And this is going to become the primary focus of the Torah for the next five Parshias. Truma, Tetzavah, Kisisa, Vayakil, Pikudi, the entire second half of the Chumash Shemais is all about the building of the Mishkan in all of its detail. The, uh, the uh, donations that were taken and the building and the initial, the way Hashem tells Moshe to make and the way it was actually made. The Torah, if you will, if we're allowed to say that way, is obsessed with the building of the Mishkan. There's, a tremend- there's, no, there's no other area in the Torah where the Torah goes into that amount of detail and elaboration as the building of the Mishkan. Because the Mishkan is V'shechanti V'saycham. It's the way Hashem says He's going to rest amongst us through the Mishkan. Now the Mishkan, um, as great as it was, was a temporary place for Hashem. And we discussed, and I'll just run over it quickly, that that Mishkan um, existed with the Jewish people in many forms for hundreds of years. Um, there was a Mishkan in the Midbar, the Mishkan in the desert. And then there was the Mishkan when they came into the land of Israel. Um, when they came into the land of Israel, the, um, the Mishkan was put for 14 years. There was 14 years of what's called the 14 years of Kibush V'chiluk, the conquest, and the division of the land of Yisrael, the Mishkan was then in a place called Gilgal. We learned about the Mishkan then that was built in the city of Shiloh, and that was a very long-standing Mishkan, 369 years in Shiloh. Then there was the uh, very temporary in Givon, and Nov in Givon. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people have had a Mishkan, but never a Beis HaMikdash, never a permanent type of a dwelling place. And that's what David HaMelech wanted to build. David HaMelech wanted to build a permanent home for Hashem. You have to remember, the Mishkan, even in its finest point, at Shiloh, where it stood as a building, it still was covered with skins. It never had a roof. It was never a building, never a real building. And David HaMelech wanted to build that Beis HaMikdash for Hashem. 
And as, as we said again, Hashem said it's going to be his son who's going to do the actual building, and that's where we're holding. Now Shlomo Melech is the king. Um, in the past weeks we discussed the beginning of Shlomo Melech's kingdom, when Shlomo Melech fulfilled the last wishes of his father. Um, we talked about the, the opener of his kingdom, but now we're going to come to perhaps the pinnacle of his kingdom, when he's going to build that Besamikdash for Hashem. And again, just like in the Chumash, just like in the Parsha of the week of Truma, Tetzave, Kisisa, Vayakel, Pikude, that the terror goes into tremendous detail in the building of the Mishkan, the same thing we're going to find here in the Navi, that the Navi is going to go into tremendous detail, and really in the finest nuances of the building of the Besamikdash. We're not going to study it in all of its detail, it can be uh, somewhat tedious, and you really have to do it with pictures and so on and so forth, which I don't even have. But um, nevertheless, we'll see, we'll see how the terror goes into it. In, in the basic details, we'll go through of how Shleiman Melech built the Besamikdash. And of course, it's a much grander um, building, edifice, than the Mishkan was. Aside from its permanence, it's bigger, it's larger. Um, if you remember, Shleiman Melech is a tremendous king. And we talked about it already in the last week, how he's a king who has a tremendous, uh, tremendous wealth and tremendous reach in different communities and different uh, na- nations and lands around him. And Shlema Melech spares no expense in building the most beautiful Beis HaMikdash, as we're going to see. Um, perhaps one final point uh, as a point of introduction. When it comes to the mitzvah in this week's parsha of building the Mishkan, the Pasuk says, V'asu li mikdash v'shachanti b'seicham. Make for me a Beis HaMikdash. Make for me a, a Mikdash or a Mishkan, a sanctuary. Um, and Chazal say that whenever it says the word li, whenever Hashem says, do something for me, that, um, that uh, connotes a certain level of permanence. That is that is something that's forever. Just like Hashem is forever. When Hashem connects a certain mitzvah with forever, with Himself, that gives a certain um, uh, eternity to that mitzvah. And here the question is, the obvious question, which is, of all the mitzvahs to be, have that eternal status, the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash is something that seems to be temporary. We don't have a Beis HaMikdash now. For 2,000 years almost, we don't have it. Um, you know, if, if we would have said, Li by Shabbos, then, you know, Shabbos, we've been doing Shabbos since the beginning. We never stopped doing Shabbos. Why is it that the word Li, that eternal nature, is said by the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash, which seems not to be eternal, which seems to be something that's dependent on the situation and the times, and sometimes, again, for a long time, already, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. And there are many answers to this question. There's many answers to the question of where, wherein lies the permanence of the Beis HaMikdash, wherein lies the permanence of the Mishkan. Um, and a number of answers. There's answers that, uh, it, it was, uh, one answer is that the shul, the shul that we have today is called a Mikdash Ma'at. So in some way that's a, a continuation of the permanence of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, there's another answer that the actual Mishkan that Moshe Rabbeinu made was never destroyed. The initial Mishkan, you know, even though the first Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the initial Mishkan the Moshe Rabbeinu made was never destroyed. Um, it's, it's, it's hidden in the tunnels under the Temple Mount, under the Harabais. But another answer, and one that the Rebbe spoke about many times, was that even when we don't have the Beis HaMikdash or the Mishkan in physicality, when we learn about it, when we learn about it and we discuss it and we learn the halachas of it and the building of it, that's a way of the fulfillment of creating the Mishkan and Mikdash nowadays. And that's something, especially that the Rebbe made something very, uh, made a focal point, that we should always be learning about the Mikdash, learning about the Mishkan, and learning about how it was made, and the details about it, and the deeper meaning of it, because that is a fulfillment 
of the mitzvah, of the permanent mitzvah, v'asuli mikdash. So when we're able to build it physically, very soon with Mashiach, of course we'll build it physically. Until then, we continue to learn about it and discuss it, and that becomes a fulfillment of this mitzvah. And that's an idea that's based on something that Hashem told the Navi Yecheskel. Because the Navi Yecheskel lived in the time after the destruction of the first base of Mikdash. And Hashem gives him a Nevuah telling him that, uh, teaching him about the building of the base of Mikdash. And Yecheskel said, but there's no base of Mikdash now. Why should I teach the Jews about the base of Mikdash? And Hashem says to the contrary, now that there's no base of Mikdash, I want them learning about it. So that in that way they're continuously connected to the base of Mikdash. And therefore, I'm saying all this by way of introduction, that that's exactly what we're going to be doing here, learning about the Beis HaMikdash, which is the fulfillment as best as we can now of that mitzvah in today's parsha of Asuli Mikdash to continuously work on building the Beis HaMikdash. And again, Hashem should help that it should very quickly be physically with the Beis HaMikdash Ashlishi. Okay, so let's, let's jump into it here. Again, I said that we're Parak Hay, chapter 5, uh, verse 15. There was an adjacent kingdom to the Jewish people, and that was the kingdom of Chiram. Chiram was the name of the king. And he was the king of a nation called Tsur. And Chiram was on good terms with the Jewish people since David HaMelech. He was ready, he was on good terms with David HaMelech. Now he hears that David HaMelech has passed away, and his son Shlomo is his successor. So Chiram sends his servants to Shlomo to, um, just as a... You know, it's a gesture of peace. Because he heard that Shlomo was anointed to be king after his father. And as the Pasuk says, that, that Ki oyev David Chiram and David were, were friends, were allies, and therefore now Chiram sending his servants um, as a gesture of goodwill and peace to Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo responds to Chiram in the following way. And in Pasuk Yudzayin, we have Shlomo telling Chiram the following message. He says, you know, that my father David wanted to build a house for Hashem. But he couldn't because of the wars that, were always, that, that, always, that, uh, that he was always dealing with. And therefore he wasn't able to build that house. But now, now Hashem has already given us peace from all those that are surrounding us. There's no one who's deterring us. There's no one who's bothering us. And he says in Pasuk And now I have undertaken to build a house. For Hashem, my God, just like Hashem had told my father David, because Hashem told my father David that your son, who will sit on your throne, he will build that home. And that's what I want to undertake now. And therefore, Shlomo turns to this Hiram, and he says that I know in, the, in your areas there's uh, a tremendous amount of the very best wood, the arazim, cedar wood. And he says, I want you to give me your men, your servants, and I will send my servants and of course, I will pay for everything. He says, I'll give the, uh, the payment and the wages of your servants, whatever you say. Um, because I know that the best, uh, the best wood, and those who know best how to, how to chop the proper woods and the best wood, is your people. He's called the people from uh, Tzor and the Tzidonim, which was, I guess, a neighboring nation. So that was Shlomo Amelach's request from Hiram that Hiram allows Shlomo to send his servants and Hiram to give his servants and together they should start chopping the wood for the Beis HaMikdash. The Pasuk says in Chafalef, When Hiram hears the words of Shlomo, He's very, very happy to be part of this. And Hiram says, Baruch Hashem, blessed be Hashem, that, that gave David such a wise son on his nation. 
And therefore, Chiram sends messengers back to Shlema, and he says, I got your message, and I'll do whatever you want. These are different types of expensive wood. He says, my, my servants are ready to go down to the, the Levonin. Those are the large forests that are in the west. And I will, um, he says, I'm going to create, it's very interesting, he talks about uh, the way that they transported wood, and this seems all the way back to this time, thousands of years ago, is he says that I will have my men tie the wood together like rafts. So they'll chop down these tall trees and they'll tie them together as rafts, and they'll take them down to the sea until wherever you tell me, and there we will separate the wood, and you'll be able to bring it up to the base of Mikdash and do whatever you need. Um, and that's what happens. The Pasuk says the Chavdalit, the Chiram Tal Shlomo, as much as you need. It talks specifically about these two types of wood, um, which the Besamiklash is going to be made from. And the Pasuk goes on to say that Shlomo sent enormous quantities of food to Chiram in order to support all of those servants that were going to be involved um, in the building project, or actually the cutting of the wood project and the transportation of the wood. It says he sends, it says here, you know, vast amounts of, of, of wheat and of oil that he sent him, and it says he would send him every year vast amounts of food to support all of the servants of Hiram that were involved in shopping wood for the Beis HaMikdash. The Pasuk continues and says that, that Shlomo used his wisdom that, that, God, that Hashem granted him, and there was peace between Hiram and Shlomo, and they created a covenant between them. Now, Shlomo Malach then starts gathering his own servants, and it says he, he creates a tax amongst the Jewish people, a tax for 30,000 men. So there's 30,000 Jewish men that are now going to be involved in, in, this, uh, in the effort of building the Beis HaMikdash. And they're going to join Hiram's servants in shopping the wood from the Levanon for the Beis HaMikdash. And uh, the Pasuk tells us that Shlema developed an interesting system, which is a man, there was 30,000 men, and they would work in shifts of 10,000. And 10,000 would go for one month and do work, and then come back to be with his family for the next two months. And then the second 10,000 men would go, and everyone would be two months at home and one month doing work for the Beis HaMikdash of the chopping wood and the transportation of the wood, which seems to have been, uh, was a massive job. We're talking about this is, uh, you know, of course, before any of the types of transportation and machinery we have today. So we're talking about just, you know, work for, ten, for thousands and thousands of men. And that's what, that's what he has going. So that's the 30,000 men that Shleim HaMelech, uh, that uh, um, he gives for this job. And then the puzzle goes on in Chavtes and says that there was much, there's many more workers. It says here that there was 70,000 men that carried and another 80,000 that were involved in excavations of, of, of stone and of marble from the mountains. I think it's called Tehu. They would hew, hew out the stones from the mountains um, here we have, so we have here another 150,000 men that are involved in this avoda, which means that so far we have here 180,000 Jewish men that are involved in the avoda of building this magnificent structure, the Beis Hamikdash, for Hashem. Um, they says uh, this is in, in addition to the ones who are on top of it all. There was uh, 3,300 men that were the, uh, I guess, the foremen who were on top of all the workers. It's interesting. The Gemara says that uh, in the time of Shlema Melech, there was a tremendous amount of people from different nations that wanted to convert to Judaism. Um, because the, this is, again, as we discussed in the past, it was like a, a, a pinnacle of time for the Jewish people. Uh, Shlema Melech is the accepted king in all the neighboring regions. There's total peace. So you have tremendous amount of Gerim that want to be Nisgayer, they want to be convert. But really, the Chachamim didn't want to accept them. There's a rule that when things are so good, 
for the Jewish people. So most people who are coming to convert is not coming out of uh, real interest in conversion. It's more to be part of the, you know, to be, uh, you know, connected to the nation that's on top. So he says, these 150,000 workers were these types of converts. They weren't fully accepted as, as Klal Yisrael. On the other hand, they did convert, so they were accepted as a quasi-type of conversion. I mean, it was orthodox conversion, obviously, but it was according to Torah. But the Chachamim weren't uh, accepting of it because they felt that these people were converting for ulterior motives. So it says that, that uh, the 150,000 workers that the Torah is talking about here are of those Geirim. That's, that's what the Gemara says. Um, be that as it may, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, it says that the king commanded and they brought huge stones and uh, very, very precious stones and they carried them. We're talking about to carry these stones. We're talking about carrying them for great distances. All this is in order to, um, for the foundations of this, uh, of the Beis HaMikdash. And they were large and, and uh, very stately stones that were used for them. Pasuk says in Lamed Beis, the Shlomo's builders together with Hiram's builders and the Gvilim, that's people it seems from another neighboring nation that were very skilled craftsmen. They were worked with the stones and they worked with the, uh, with the wood that were all brought to build the Beis HaMikdash. That is the end of Perakei, chapter 5. So that was the first, um, first point of getting, we didn't start building the Beis HaMikdash yet, but as far as the preparing the grounds and preparing the woodwork and preparing the stones, this was being done now by Shlomo in conjunction with his ally Hiram. And we have many, many people from Hiram's nation and people from Shle- from Klal Yisrael that are working on this together. The uh, the chopping down and the transportation of the of the wood and the stones that is going to be the foundation of the Beis Hamikdash. Want to ask a question? No. Okay. Perik Vav, Chapter Six. More, the, uh, the, uh, the the Navi continues. This is a a number that many people don't know. Um, you ask people typically, how long were the Jewish people in the land of Israel before they started building the first Beis Hamikdash? Right. Of course, we know we learned we started from the beginning of the Navi. It was Yehoshua who brought us into the land of Israel. Now Shlomo Melech is building the first Beis Hamikdash. How long is it from point A to point B? From coming into the land of Eretz Yisrael. So some people think uh, fifty years, hundred years, two hundred years, but it's much more than that, obviously. Here the pasuk says it was four hundred and eighty years after they left Mitzrayim that they undertook now the beginning of building the Beis Hamikdash. So if we say four hundred and eighty years from Yitzias Mitzrayim, that's that means four hundred and forty years from when they came into Eretz Yisrael, right? Because the first forty years they spent in the desert. So from the time that Yehoshua brings us into the land of Eretz Yisrael until Shleim HaMelech begins the avoid of building the Beis HaMikdash is 440 years. So, and that's how the Pasuk begins here. That was 480 years after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Bashana HaRaviyas in the fourth year. The fourth year of what? The answer, the Pasuk doesn't say, but Rashi says, the Mepharshim say, it was the fourth year of Shlomo HaMelech's reign. Right? We remember Shleim HaMelech was only 12 years when he, um, when he succeeded his father. Four years later, he's now 16 years old, and it's at this point that he begins, he commences with building the Beis HaMikdash. Bechodesh Ziv, in the month of Ziv. What's the month of Ziv? Um, it's not in the names of the months that we have. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh, we should mention that, of course, Rosh Chodesh Adar. But in the names of the months that we have, we don't have a Ziv. But that is the month of Eir, what we call the month of Eir, the second month. Uh, we have Nisan, then Eir. What we call Eir in the Torah, and the Navi is called the month of Ziv. Ziv means a shine. And that's the beginning when the sun shines strong. It's the beginning of the summer months. So, 
The Pasuk tells us the exact timing of when this is going on. It's 480 years when they leave Mitzrayim. The fourth year of Shlomo Melech's kingdom in the month of Ziv, the second month. Vayiven habayis la Hashem. It was at this point that Shlomo begins this avodah of building the house for Hashem. And now, the Pasuk tells us the dimensions of the house that he's going to build because it's going to be much bigger than any dimensions that we learned to route in the Torah, right? It's going to be a lot bigger than the Mishkan was. It's going to be a permanent type of a home. So it says that the home, Pasuk Bey, the home that Shleim Amalek built was 60 cubits long. A cubit, we'll say, you know, there's questions exactly how big it is, but a, sort of an accepted measurement is about a foot and a half. So we're talking about 60 cubits long, we're talking about 90 feet long is the house, is the, is the, is the, is the Beis HaMikdosh. The Esrim Rach by 20 uh, cubits is its width. 30 amos. It is tall, 30 amos. That's the basic dimensions of the building, of the actual, what we'll call the Heichel. We'll, we'll discuss that. But the actual edifice of the Beis HaMikdosh, uh, which contains the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, was 60 by 20 and 30 amos tall. And then in front of that, there was an additional, like an antechamber, which was called the Ulam, Pasagimel, and that is an additional 20 amos. Um, so it runs the entire... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It runs, it runs the width of the Mishkan, which, of the Bishamik, which is 20 amos. And it's an additional 10 amos to the, to the, gen, to the length of the building. So that if you add the Ulam, which is also part of the edifice, really. So it's really 70 amos long is the Bishamik. There's 70 amos long. Again, 20 amos wide and 30 amos tall. Okay, that's the basic, very basic dimensions. Of course, that's going to be surrounded by an outer chamber, an outer courtyard, which we'll get to later in the chapter. Um, then we have a pasuk, which is actually a pretty famous pasuk. He says, "In this home, he made chalone, which are windows shkufim atumim." Uh, something that we, uh, I'm sure it's, it's been brought up in classes before, that the windows of the Beis HaMikdash were very, very strange, different than all windows, and that is that they were narrow on the inside and they got wider as they went outward, which is the opposite of how most windows, especially in the olden days, were made. Nowadays, typically, a window is the same dimension on both sides of the wall. But in the olden days, they had very thick walls, and a window was primarily the source of light, and therefore it got wider as it came into the chamber, into the room, in order to bring light, that the light should spread. The Besamikdash windows were the opposite way. They were narrow on the inside, and as they went outward, they got wider. And that was symbolizing the idea that the Besamikdash wasn't there to receive light from the world, but rather it was the source of light and the source of Kedusha for the entire world. But that all comes from this Pasuk Dalid. Vayas Labais, he made for the home, for this for this uh, edifice, Chalone Shkufim Atumim, those windows that are narrow on the inside and get wider as they go out. Okay, then we have in Pasuk, Hey, Vav, um, Hey and Vav, a, a discussion of little chambers that were built into the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. And again, it'll be, be very difficult for me to, to try to picture this without real pictures. But the entire um, walls of the Beis HaMikdash around had built-in chambers. And they were big chambers that you could walk into. And that's where they held things and kept things. And some of them were just, I don't know if all of them were used all the time. But there was many, many of these ch chambers that were really... It was in stories, it was three stories high. Each, it was five Amos high, was the first chamber, then another five Amos, then another five Amos. And these were on the western wall, and on the um, southern wall, and the northern wall. They were, all, um, they were all adorned with these chambers. 
um, very beautiful chambers. The, the, few, the pictures that I have seen, obviously not real pictures, but drawings and so on, it was very, very beautiful. And those chambers actually had staircases within them to go from one chamber to another chamber. And that's discussed over here, again, in these two psukim, and again later on in the chapter, he, he talks about the dimensions of all those chambers as they go. In Pasig Zion, he says the, the, the home was built with, with complete stones, with whole and complete stones, um, and that there was no, um, you didn't hear any, uh, there was no uh, axes or any type of, uh, of, any type of um, tools that break stone or even, or iron. None of that was heard when they were building the Beis HaMikdash. So that they had these huge, perfect stones that they were using and you didn't have to saw on this side and knock on that side. There was perfect, big, beautiful stones that were used for the Beis HaMikdash. And the Pasuk is very clear that when they were building the house, you did not hear all the typical sounds that you would hear by building of, of sawing and, and knocking and, and banging and chiseling away. All that wasn't there. Now, in, in the, the Pasuk doesn't talk about it, but in the Gemara, there's, there's discussion about that, how, how, they, how they pulled that off. In other words, how do you build a beautiful, ornate building without straightening out the stones, without fixing them up, without chopping off pieces, without chiseling things? And there's actually two opinions in the Gemara. One opinion is that they did have to chisel, they did have to straighten things out, but they didn't do any of this on the Temple Mount. They did this before they brought the stones up to the mountain. So therefore, when the Pasuk says that when they were building the house, you didn't hear any of the sounds of, of, of breaking and chiseling, is because all that was done beforehand when they brought it up to the Temple Mount, they were already perfect stones. So that's a more simplistic approach to understanding this Pasuk. Um, on the other hand, the Gemara brings another opinion which is famous, and that is that Shlomo Melech had gotten hold of a, uh, some type of a miraculous or at least a, a natural uh, miraculous phenomenon of a worm called the Shamir. And the Shamir is this worm that has the ability to just slice through stone. And it's some type of a, some type of a worm, it seems, that has this uncanny ability to slice through stone. And the Gemara, there's a whole story of Shlomo Melech received it, and he, he used um, various um, agents and, as, at his disposals and demons until he was able to find this worm and use it for the building of the Mesamiktash. And that's how he was able to get perfect stones without using iron, without using saws, without using any of that, using that Shamir. So the Gemara gives both approaches. Well, you know, either way, when they built the Mesa Mikdash, there was no saws, and there was no chiseling, and there was no axes. So again, either because all this was done before they brought the stones to the Temple Mount, or because Ashlam Melech had that, um, the, the, uh, the Shamir at his disposal, and was able to therefore cut whatever he needed without using any of the regular ways of doing that. Again, two, two opinions mentioned in the Gemara. Rashi himself brings that it's a debate amongst the Chachmi Yisrael, amongst the sages of the Jewish people. Okay, Pasuk Ches um, continues, um, Pasuk Ches and Tes and Yud continue describing the chambers that adorn the sides of the house, uh, the sides of the Beis HaMikdash, um, and how everything was very, very ornately decorated. Um, everything was with, with beautiful woods. Um, and it goes through, you know, again, in the details the Pesukim do. Pasuk Yud Aleph, very important, is the first time that we find Hashem actually um, addressing Shlomo about the Beis HaMikdash. Now, Shlomo knew that Hashem had told his father David HaMelech that Shlomo was going to build the Beis HaMikdash. So when Shlomo started the project, he did it on his own because he understood that this is what the commandment was. 
But Hashem hadn't yet directly told him about it. So Shlomo HaMelech began the avodah, began the work, and, and already had all his workers and was building, but there wasn't yet a clear um, discuss, uh, talk. Hashem didn't, uh, didn't clearly talk to Shlomo directly about it until here. But in Pasuk Yud Aleph is where that came as well. As the Pasuk says, Vahidvar Hashem Shlomo Lamer, that the word of Hashem came to Shlomo saying, Habayis Hazea Shirata Bona, this home that you are building, if you'll go in my commandments and my ways according to my laws, you will guard the mitzvahs to go in their ways, and then I will uphold the words that I told your father, which is Vishachanti Besoch Bnei Yisrael. Those are those are the words they're waiting to hear. After all, again, going back to this week's parsha, the mitzvah of building a mishkan is Vishachanti Besocham. The concept of Hashem resting His divine presence with us, and that's what Hashem promises to Shlomo here. V'shachanti b'toch b'nei Yisrael, I will rest amongst the Jewish people. V'loi ezoi v'sami Yisrael, I will never leave my nation, the Jewish people. So these um, these three psukim that come in middle of the building are obviously extremely important, where Hashem sort of says, yes, you're on the right track, this is what I wanted, this is what I want, and if you continue to go on my ways, I will continue to rest my presence amongst you, amongst Klal Yisrael. Okay. Pasuk Yudalid, Vayiven Shlomo Sabayis Vayichalehu. Shlomo continued building the house and he got closer to finishing it. And again, we have here Pasuk Tesvav and Tesayin. He talks about the, uh, the walls and how he, um, how he coated everything with beautiful wood and the, the ground, how he laid a beautiful um, um, floor, again, out of very, very fine, the finest woods for the floor of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, so it's from the, the ground and the walls and everything was done with a beautiful way. And then it says at the end of Pasik Tazayin, Vayivan lo mibayis lidvir l'kodesh ha-kodoshim. He built another, the, the last 20 amos of the building was called the Devir. The Devir is another name for the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. The reason why the Holy of Holies was called Devir is because the word Devir is connected with Devar, the Devar Hashem, the word of Hashem that would come to the Jewish people was through the Holy of Holies, through the Kodesh HaKadoshim, through the Aron, which was of course the epicenter of the Beis HaMikdosh, the Mishkan and then the Beis HaMikdosh. So therefore, at, at this point, he's already talking about that Devir, that Kodesh HaKadoshim. Um, and he says that in front of the Kodesh, remember, the whole building was 60 Amos long, right? There was 60 Amos plus the 10 of the Ulam. So of those 60, there was 40 was the Kodesh, and the, the final 20 on the western side was the Kodesh HaKadoshim, where the Devir, the Holy of Holies. And that's what's discussed here, Yud Zayin, that there was 40 Amos in front, in front of the Devir, and then he talks again about the or, the, uh, the the way it was adorned, and pasuk yutes udvir betocha bayis penima, and within you know the most most inner uh, sanctuary, the most inner chamber, the dvir was lesiten sham es aron bris hashem to bring the aron. Of course, the aron is the center point of the Beis Hamikdash, and it's the center point of the Kodesh Shakadashim. And we discussed a lot about the Aron in the past, because the Aron went from place to place, and it was it was all over, and David Amalek brought the Aron. But now, when the Aron is finally going to come home to the place where it belongs, which is in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Um, for a minute, going back to this week's Torah portion, um, when Hashem says to make the Mishkan, what is the first uh, article of the Mishkan that Hashem says in the Torah, how to build, is the Aron. And the Ramban in this week's Torah portion says, why is the Aron discussed first? 
says the Ramban, because the Aron is the center. It's the point of the whole Mishkan. The whole Mishkan is for Veshachanti, that Hashem should rest with us, and Hashem rests through the Aron, on top of the Aron, and the Nevuah came from forth from the Aron. And therefore here as well, when he discusses the Kodesh HaKadoshim, he says it's the place for the Aron. Um, and he says in Pasuk that that um, the Kodesh HaKadoshim was a perfect square of 20 Amos by 20 Amos, right? Because again, the whole width of everything was 20 Amos. But the, the Mikdash itself went 60 Amos and then another 10. But the Kodesh HaGadashim was the last 20. So it was an exact square of 20 by 20 Amos or 30 square feet approximately was the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Um, and the Pasuk says that Shlomo Melech has the entire Kodesh um, uh, covered with gold. It was, all, it was made out of wood, but everything has a gold cover. And again, the... the amount, uh, what these things, the value of these things is probably, we can't even estimate in dollars what it would be. Everything was here, the finest the and the highest. The entire Aaron, Aaron or the entire Holy of Holies? The entire Holy of Holies. The whole room? Yeah, that's what it says. Yeah. Okay. So, Shlomo, Zav, Sagur. It was all covered with gold. Um, yeah, it was, all, it was all done with gold. And then, not just that, ultimately, the whole Beis Amikdash, the walls of the Beis Amikdash were gold covered from inside. The inside of the walls of the base of So it was wood. It was the, the basic, the uh, the basic material is wood, but with a golden, what is it, gold plated or whatever, it was covered with gold. Um, and as, as the whole house was done that way um, until the dvir, until the kodesh hakadosh. Then there's a discussion of the kruvim that he made. Now, was something very interesting about the kruvim. Um, although all of the basic um, Kalim, the vessels of the Beis Hamikdash resembled the vessels that were in the Mishkan, right? Although the building was different, was much but the vessels were basically the same. I mean, it's the same Aron, and it's the Shulchan, and it's the Menorah, it's the two Mizbeachs, as we're going to discuss. So the Kruvim also, when we hear Kruvim, we're thinking the Kruvim that were in the Mishkan. And they were Kruvim, but they're very, very different. Very different. The Kruvim of the Mishkan, which again we read about in this week's Torah portion, are on top of the Aron, right? The way, the way the Mishkan is created, there's an Aron, which is a box. On top of the Aron, there's a golden sheet. And coming out of that sheet is two Kruvim, which are people-shaped figures. The Kruvim that Shlomo HaMelech made were not sitting on top of the Aron. They, were, they, were, they stood tall and they stood on the ground. They stood on the ground and they were tall enough and they had big wings that they covered the entire Aron. In fact, they took up almost the whole room of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. They were very, they were a very, very large um, edifice, the, the, the Kruvim, as the Pasuk describes here. It says, um, uh, Pasuk Chav Gimel, Vayas Bidvir, he made in the Dvir, again the Dvir is the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Shnei Kruvim, he makes two Kruvim, Atzei Shomen, they're made out of um, very fine uh, uh, olive, olive tree wood, I guess, Eser Amos Komaso, they stand 10 Amos tall. These Kruvim are, they're, they're 15 Amos tall. That's the, so they're much bigger than a regular, they're double, at least uh, more than double. 15 Amos is almost three times the size of a regular human being. V'chamesh Amos Knafa Kruva Echos, the wing, each wing was five Amos long and five Amos on the other side. So it's 10 Amos from one end to the other end of the wings of the Kruvim. Now, the other one is the same thing. 
So we have these two giant kruvim, again, statues, that are with these huge wings, and they're five amos each, and they're touching each other. The two kruvim are touching. So the, um, so the kruvim, they go five amos in front of the body of the statue, five in back, and the, so does the other, which means that the entire 20 amos of the room is covered by the kruvim. The kruvim are like this, uh, these wings that are covering everything in the room, and in the middle of the room, sitting on the floor, is the aron, in which is the, which is in which is the luchas. So the kruvim are this are really uh, very large figures, and they're taking up most of the kodesh hakadoshim, and their wings are touching the walls on both sides and covering. They're being misachek. They're covering over the aron that's in between, and that's described in these psukim chadalad chafei chavav. Um, Chav Zayin is all describing the Kruvim, these, these giant Kruvim that Shlomo Melech makes. And again, in that way, I believe that the Kruvim are the most different of the vessels in the Beis HaMikdash versus the vessels in the Mishkan. Again, m- most of the vessels are primarily the same uh, measurements. The Kruvim are very, very different, whereas the Kruvim of the Mishkan, as we described, were much smaller and were part of the of the cover of the Aron, here they're independently standing as as huge as big statues, and it's written. Even though the pasuk doesn't say, you know, who gave Shlomo Melech this idea of doing it that and making this big change, but ultimately Shlomo Melech was guided by Nevi'im. He had the Navi, Nasan and Navi was with him, um, and the Nevi'im were guiding him the word of Hashem on how to build this bias la Hashem. So it doesn't say that here, but in Divrei Hayamim it says that everything that was made was directed by Hashem through the Nevi'im of exactly how to make it. But uh, this definitely is, uh, it would seem, the biggest uh, cha- change of a vessel was the way the Kruvim were made. So what happened to the old Kruvim? That's a very good question, and I don't know the answer. Um, if I, let me look into that. If I have something for next class, I'll let you know. Um, I don't know the answer. That's a good question. I mean, we know that there are parts of the initial Mishkan that, uh, the initial Mishkan was, was uh, buried was buried in the in the Mechilos, in the Temple Mount, which I mentioned earlier. Likely that's the answer, that whatever wasn't used from that Mishkan went there as well. I'm saying that more of a guess, as more than knowledge. Pasuk Chavchas, these Kruvim also were covered with gold. And the Pasuk Chavchas goes on to talk about, the, again, different ornaments and um, adornments that were made throughout. Pasuk Lamed says even... Even the ground was beautified and we're also using gold in different places. Um, it talks about the walls of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Oh, that's, another, that's another difference. In the uh, Mishkan, what separated the Kodesh HaKadoshim from Kodesh was a curtain, right? That was a parochas, was a curtain. Here it's walls and doors. This again, this is a permanent edifice, this is a Beis HaMikdash. Um, and he talks about, the, in Pasuk Lamed Aleph, he talks about the Pesach Hadvir, which literally is the doors to the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And they were made also out of uh, doors made out of Atsi Shemen, which is again the olive tree wood, just like we talked about um, uh, the Kruvim. And uh, he talks about how they were made, and they were made in, they were, they were actually square doors, it says. And they were also covered in gold. Um, and they covered over the entire base uh, Kodesh HaKadoshim. Okay. Um, Again, there's a couple of psukim that describe that, and Paslam Gimel, Lama Dalid, and Lamed Hay. And there's a lot there's a lot of words there, also a lot of hard words in Hebrew, but they're really different types of adornments. And, and all of this was made with tremendous, tremendous art. I mean, as I said, Shlomo spared 
no uh, no effort in doing this in the most perfect way. Okay, Pasuk Lamed Vav goes to the Chatzar. The Chatzar is the outer chamber, right? Just like the Mishkan had. You have, you have to look at the Besam Mikdash like a large and updated Mishkan. So there's there's always three basic parts. When you talk about the Mishkan or the Besam Mikdash, there's always going to be three basic parts. There is the Kodesh, if you start from the highest level, there's the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and that's the, where only the Kohen Gadol goes in Yom Kippur, and there's only the Aron. Then you have Kodesh, that's where you have the inner Mizbeach, and that's where you have the Menorah, the Shulchan. And then you have the Chatzar, which is the outer chamber, and that's where you have the outer Mizbeach, and that's where you have the Kohanim come, that's where people would come, um, Ezra's Kohanim, Ezra's Yisrael, Ezra's Nashim, all of that was in the third section. So here too, we've discussed already the, well, the, the, I guess the difference between the Beis HaMikdash and Mishkan, I, I know this is maybe difficult to follow because this is very visual, but the, we, we had the, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which we call the Dvir. Outside is the Kodesh. Then we had the Ulam. The Ulam is that antechamber that you didn't have in the Mishkan. In the Mishkan, there was no antechamber coming from the Chatzar to the Kodesh. That was new in the Beis HaMikdash. So you had the Kodesh HaKadoshim, then you had the Kodesh, then the Ulam. All of that together was the building, the one building of the, what's called the Heichel. And then you have the Chatzar. The Chatzar is the outer courtyard, and that's where, again, most Karbanos are going to be brought. And that's where most people are going to, when a person is going to come to the Mikdash, they're going to be in the courtyard. That's where a person might be. Again, a Kohen or a Levi or Yisrael, man or woman, would typically not get past that courtyard. Um, and that courtyard is what he begins discussing in Pasuk Lamed Vav in, in verse 36. That he built the, the internal chatzer, the courtyard. Again, and he discusses that he with three different uh, tiers of stone. Um, and on top of the three tiers of stone, there was, uh, there was cedar wood. And um, he doesn't go into detail about that. But he does now say that all of this began, he goes back, he's sort of finishing off where we began that all this began in the fourth year, as we said, the fourth year um, of Shlomo Melech's reign, Be'yarach Ziv, in the month of Ziv, which we already said is the month of Ir, the second month when you start from Nisan. And then he, and then he says, how long did it take? He says, Ubashana ha'achas esrei, and the eleventh year is when it was finished. In other words, this building project was seven years long. From the fourth year, until the eleventh year of Shlomo Melech's reign, so again, it wasn't a, this wasn't a hastily con uh, constructed building, uh, but but when we read a little bit about the detail and the precision and the and the grand wealth of this, so it's understood that even though he had tens of thousands of workers that were involved, but nevertheless it it took seven years, and we'll see from uh, especially as we go on that Shlomo is credited to having done this with precision and with haste, so it wasn't considered he wasn't lax on the job, it wasn't a there was no, you know, the high, uh, you know, firing the contractor a couple times in the middle. This was just an avodah that took a tremendous amount of precision and time to do it exactly the way Hashem wanted it. And he says, it was in the 11th year of Shlomo's reign, Be'yerach Bul, in the month of Bul. What's Bul? Again, a name that we're not familiar with, but that is the month of Cheshvan. Um, the month of uh, Cheshvan, because Bul has to do with uh, something that the uh, bull is when the uh, grass starts falling off or the, the leaves start falling off the trees. It's the beginning of the winter. Um, things start falling down. Bull is somehow connected with that word. Um, so it's in the 11th year, I'm sorry, in the, yeah, in the 11th year of his reign, in the month of Cheshvan, Kola Habayis Lechol Devarov. 
So this the home, this this edifice was finished, was completed to, with all his detail. with all the laws. He spent seven years building this home for Hashem. Okay, um, I think we're sort of we're going to finish it. Maybe just another moment or two. I just want to say that in Perik Zayin in the next chapter, which we'll learn next week, Emir Hashem, Dira talks about that Shlomo Melech, while he was building Beis Hamikdash, also was involved in construction of his own home. Um, Shlomo built for himself a tremendous palace, um, which will be described in the next parak, and not in the same detail as the Beis Hamikdash at all, and it wasn't as nuanced as the Beis Hamikdash, but it was a very magnificent edifice. But it's interesting to point out, the, pasik, the first Pasuk in, in, in Parak Zion says that his own home he built for 13 years until he completed it. So the Chazal say, the Gemara says, that the Pasuk is trying to tell us that Shlomo put more effort and haste into the building of Yisamikdash than his own home. His own home, this is written to bring out the praise of Shlomo Melech. That when it came to the house of Hashem, he made that his first and foremost, uh, um, you know, the centerpiece of his avoda, and that's where he put his, his efforts, and that's why he was able to finish it quicker. But then, while he started that, he also started building his own home, and that took him 13 years, which is described in the beginning of the parak. But then, as we're going to see, the parakism not go back to more details that he put into the Beis Hamikdash as well, and that goes for the duration of Perak Zion, a lot of more very fascinating details about the construction of the, um, of the Beis Hamikdash, which, uh, Bezrez Hashem, I want to um, work on together next week.